in the book of Joshua this morning. And last week we went through this incredibly boring and dry chapter of the Bible. I mean, the whole chapter was just boring in a sense. But we saw how the Lord had Joshua set down and list out all these battles that he's won, which is really cool. And it started some interesting discussions about, about battles that may go on our list and how sometimes we can be in the middle of the battle and how we're talking about how the Lord is preparing us for certain things in the future we don't even realize that the Lord is having us, you know, fight a small battle. So then we have a larger battle later on that we're prepared to, to, to fight for along with the Lord. You know, we don't even realize that we're being prepared. Listening week after week after week about the Lord fighting battles for Joshua and learning how the Lord, um, you know, fights those battles and can fight those battles and will fight those battles for us, even battles that may seem impossible for us. And then, bam, the Lord is right there to help us out. And after uh, the Lord challenged me to, to have some of you write this down, some are thinking, man, the battle I'm going through right now belongs on my list. This is going there. And, and you know, they haven't even fought it yet, or they haven't even finished it yet, and they're already talking about it being on their list because they know the Lord's going to come through that, uh, or come, uh, uh, the Lord's going to come to their, their help, going to come and fight that battle for them. You know what this tells me? They've accepted the fact that God fights for them. And this is important for us to understand. God wants to fight with us and for us, and he wants us to follow him. And we're going to come out of this battle okay on the other side. We just don't know it yet. And we, we're going to be okay because we're relying on the Lord. How awesome is that? This is the type of faith that we need to have. This is the type of courage that we need to have. And then we get to Joshua 13, where we pick up today. And it says, when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. God can, can sometimes be <laughs> crazily honest. You know what I'm saying? Our reaction would either be, man, I already knew I was getting old. Or to be, no, 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 I'm still young. No, I'm not getting old here. But we need to understand, God is not mocking Joshua. They've become close. Telling somebody they're old does, is not meant as an insult. We may take it as that, but it shouldn't be that. Uh, we need to recognize that we get older. I mean, I turned 50 this year. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I understand. I'm getting a little older, you know. Uh, but, you know, you've heard that term, old as dirt. Well, God literally is old as dirt. He's the one that created the dirt. He's the inventor of it. God gave himself a nickname. It's called the Ancient of Days. Now, why, you know, would you call yourself that? Would you go to the company picnic and have the name tag that says Ancient of Days on? God likes being eternal. He's complimenting his friend here. He says, you are getting old. We've been together for a long time now. And he's telling Joshua, you need to come to terms with your age, and you need to stop fighting it. There's nothing wrong with taking your care of yourself at this age because you're not at fighting age anymore. God wanted him to come to term with his age because he wanted him to start being a commander uh, off the field instead of on the field. This is a new reality for Joshua. At the end of chapter uh, 12, he's no longer the commander of the army, but all of a sudden he's like the office guy. And it goes on, he says, when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, 
you are now very old and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. There's all this work that still needs to be done, but you're going to have to delegate it out to some people at this point. You can't just do it all yourself. You're going to have to work through some commanders. You're going to have to work through the office people. You've got to work through staff. You've got to tell other people to do something and trust them to do this. You're no longer out in the field. Now, you can imagine Joshua would have one or two different reactions of this. Either he was like, whew, finally, finally, I'm a little tired now, finally getting some help. Can I just go rest? Or was it, no, 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 wait a second, God, I can still do things. Now, we don't know his reaction. So we can either go with, man, Joshua is so mature here, or we can go with Joshua's like us. Transitions are kind of hard for him. To be human is to struggle with transitions. Have you figured that out? To come from something and to go to something else, go towards something else, that can be a difficult road to be on. You come to the fork of the road and you got to make a decision to change direction and make that decision. That can be a hard thing to do. And Joshua is probably thinking, Lord, why do I have to stop now? I mean, Joshua is about 100 years old and the Lord is saying, transition time. And he seems to approach this transition with grace. He makes it so easy. He makes it look so easy, but I bet you it wasn't. I mean, this not only deals with age, this deals with the concept of transition. And it would have helped if he, you know, if he didn't know what would happen. But he knows what's going to happen because it happened with Moses. He knows how they treated Moses. He knows the next generation. He knows which direction they'll eventually go. I mean, I wish, I can imagine God saying, I wish these guys are going to listen to you. These guys who fought at the Battle of Jericho and Shimron, Miron and Gilgal and Hazor and Jerusalem, that they would follow the examples that you put out and do the same. But in reality, you know what's going to happen, Joshua. They didn't do this. Just read the book of Judges. You see it over and over again. In fact, Joshua 13, 13, it says, but, and this is never a good time to start a sentence with those words, but the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur or Makkah. So they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. Now, who wrote the book of Joshua? It had to be a pain to write Joshua 13, 13. Or, or how about Joshua fifteen sixty three, Judah could not do, dislodge the Jeshubites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jeshubites uh, or Je, uh, Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. That's a battle that Joshua won. Remember the king of Jerusalem that we talked about last week? We listed that. You know, the king of Jerusalem won and everybody would have cheered. The tribe of Judah did not do their job afterward and clean up the mess. They received Jerusalem, but they didn't mop up the rest of the people. They received their promise, but did not do the job. Joshua 16.10, it says, They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezor. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. The son of the Ephraimites, when it came down to it, they didn't mop up. They didn't do their job. Their possession was the promised land. They took possession of it, but didn't do the rest of it. Joshua 17.12. 
Yet the men, uh, Manazites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites determined to live in that region. I could imagine the discussions. Why haven't you done this? Well, you know, these people, Joshua, they're really just determined. How did we win against that? How do we win against people who are just determined? And I could imagine Joshua just kind of rolling his eyes a little bit going, come on. Now, we have to be careful here. We're going to rip on the Israelites a little bit because, I mean, they kind of screw up a lot. But in reality, they're just like us. And this can all be you know, applied to our lives. They could not, they could not do this. And the reason they came to Joshua was, you know, or, or when they came to Joshua, they said, well, we did pretty good, but these people are really determined. And Joshua just writes it down, shaking his head. You can imagine. They could not, they did not. They could not, they did not. And this was every tribe was pretty much the same. They got too complacent and didn't do their job. Now, when you go back through these chapters, you will see some really cool stuff that they accomplished. I mean, but when they're mopping up, they didn't do it all. I mean, there's some things that are real cool. I mean, this guy was a sorcerer and they took care of that. It says in the scriptures, well, good. But the problem is they, they, they settled for partial obedience. They could have had complete obedience, but they didn't. They settled for partial obedience. And partial obedience equals what? Complete disobedience. Partial obedience is wrong. As a kid, and every one of us could testify to this, we're good at this. But dad, I didn't turn on the TV. Or but dad, we ran out of time. You told me to do this, I know, but, but we ran out of time last night, so I didn't do it. You know, dad, da, 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 you meant to fully obey, but partial obedience is complete disobedience. This goes for those who are, are in charge of things as well. And before I get mad, the Lord has to remind me. Now, Alan, now you know how I feel. Because I am your heavenly father. And I've called you to, to, to be obedient to me. You have said that you will worship me. You've said that, 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 that you were my God. You have said that you were a good father to me. You have said that every good and perfect gift comes from above. You have said that I don't make mistakes. You have said that I'm not unfair to you. You have said I've always been good to you. You have said, you have said, you have said all these things that we say about God, and yet we partially obey him. And as a father... Sometimes he has to discipline us because we disobey. That partial obedience is complete disobedience. And that is a loving father. The more I study the scripture and look at this, the more I'm amazed at the mercy of God. Our God is a merciful God. He gives us chance after chance after chance. God is a, you know, so merciful to you. Because you know what the past seven years has been like, you know, and, you know all the different battles and stuff. But, but, you know, you could say, I was partially obedient, Joshua. And Joshua just shakes his head. Now, Joshua, he's going to finish well. 
He's, you know, he lives another five years here, and, and it's about ten chapters, and we're going to go through that fairly uh, quick here. And, uh, you know, we got another four or five sermons, something like that. But, but he finished well. And the people of Israel meant well. I mean, they'd fought Jericho. They'd fought Ai and, and Hazor and Jerusalem and all these battles. But, but that is the human problem. We fight these big battles to get us where we are. You know, we fight the battle against alcohol or lust or constant lying or relationships or jobs. And it hasn't been that easy. You know, sometimes we have to stand up for what is right. And when, you know, even if you're going to lose your friends... I mean, there's those that are, that are watching right now, going to Bible studies, trying to build new friendships, you know, because those that they thought that, that loved them come to find out they, they don't love them now that they've become a Christian and things have changed. But they're saying, Lord, I don't care if it's going to hurt. I'm going to follow you. But for some reason, we get to a point in the fight where you say, you know what? I'm tired. It's been seven years. It's been too long. I'm done. And I'm just going to sit down and that's it. And all of a sudden, we see year after year after year pass by and we're still sitting there. And this is called partial obedience. One thing Israel has to learn, and it's a hard lesson and it's one that we should learn too, is that Joshua was only their mentor. He wasn't going to be there forever. They, they eventually had to move on from relying on him. They had to mature. And it's good to have great spiritual mentors, but it is only great when, when they're not having to be spiritual for you. You know what I'm saying? that you branch out, that you understand, that you move beyond of, uh, of having them to, uh, you know, or having you to just rely on them and you start to rely on the Lord. You know, it's never said that Joshua fought the battle for them. He fought the battle for the Lord. It says the Lord fought the battle for them, not Joshua. Joshua just happened to be the leader in charge and the one that's that's leading. And he happens, uh, you know, (coughs) so what happens when when Joshua lays it down and he's going to retire, the question is, are you the one going to be leading the charge? So many of us go, well, I'm just following him. When that leader retires, that leader transitions, we just sit there and, and, and the Lord's sitting there going, now it's your turn to step up. But we're like, who, me? No, not me. Somebody else. uh, No, I'm good right here. And we're refusing to step up. And God's going, I need you to get out there and lead. You know, some of us are like, well, I'm not sure what to do. Well, you know what? God is there to lead you. You know, I've had some great mentors in my life, and and all my life, God has has provided good mentors. My Sunday school teachers, my mom and dad, my my youth leaders, I mean, Sunday school teacher Bob Sebesta, and then I had a a junior high youth pastor named Jim, was awesome, and then Rich Shimon, he he was a worship leader, was a great guy, Greg Willis, and Emery Gadd, and Steve Madsen, and Rob Bryson, some, some wonderful, you know, pastors and great mentors, and God was using them to prepare me. At the time, I had no clue whatsoever that God was preparing me for a next step. I mean, I was not planning on doing this for my livelihood. I had another direction I was going. Especially after growing up in church, I remember once a 
You know, I, I, I just went home for, for Christmas and I visited with my old pastor, Ernest Whedon, at, you know, First Baptist Church in Deer Park and stuff. And, uh, you know, great man of God. And I can remember a Sunday night service where the youth pastor stood up in the middle of the sermon and interrupted the pastor and started screaming at him and all this kind of stuff. And we're just kind of like in awe, just going, what? You know, we, we were totally surprised like anybody would be. And our pastor handled it with so much grace. We've had some great mentors. I've had some great mentors. But it comes a point where God says, okay, Alan, now it's time for you to step up. And at that point, we have a chance to either step up or not. And it's so easy not to. It's so easy to sit in a chair and not do these things. But the question is, what does the Lord prepare for you for life? And I'm not talking about, you know, the job as a mechanic or a teacher or, or down at the plant or, or whatever your job might be, you know, at the hospital or whatever. I'm not talking about that job. What has God prepared for you in this life? How does he want you to lead others toward him. The Lord has put those people in your life to challenge you, but you have to continually grow. You got to fight the battles and then we got to set up and not just set there. And when we fight those battles, we do it in a godly way. We don't act like the world. We do it in a Christian way. We don't fight like the world fights. They fight dirty. They fight, you know, in Satan's way. They fight in a negative way, in a bad way. We don't develop an attitude and get all weird about it. We, you know, we don't act, you know, condescending to other people. When we fight, we fight for God. And it starts with us stepping up to the fight. God is calling you. God is calling you. And, and uh, you know, it's not me calling you. It is the Lord. So come on, we need to get up and we need to start fighting for him. Why do you keep holding back? That is the question. We have people in our church that need to step up and get in the battle and not keep holding back. What is the one thing that God has trained you to do? We need to start doing that and then ask God to bless it. But we need to step up and obey him. Some of us are like, but I'm not a Joshua. You're right. You are not a Joshua, and neither am I. No one else is Joshua but Joshua. What has God trained you to do? He isn't calling you to take Joshua's place. He's calling you to step up and do the job that he has for you to do, the, the one you're supposed to be doing. The Lord says to Joshua over, over and over, fear not. Fear not. He even has other people to come to Joshua and say, fear not, fear not, over and over again. You know, you're more like Joshua than you probably even imagine. The, you know, the alternative of not stepping up is in Judges chapter 2. If you want to go read that, you can read that later. But Joshua and Caleb's lives you know, represent total obedience. Now, did they have sin in their life? Yes. But they obeyed the Lord. The next generation represented partial obedience. Then guess what the third, represent, third generation represented? Complete disobedience. This is how it works. It's a cycle we see all over the Bible, and we need to break that cycle. Total obedience, partial obedience, and then total disobedience. 
And then God, out of those, out of those, you know, the total disobedience, he will bring a, a few up uh, to be obedient. And the cycle starts again. And if you are a part of the partial obedience to God, you look at those behind you and you say, how can they be totally disobedient to God? But your partial obedience. And the answer to that is, you need to look in the mirror, buddy. You need to start being in obedience to God. Joshua cries out, over and over and over. Be obedient. Choose this day whom you are going to serve. So the question is, who do you serve? Are you serving God or not? I mean, it's an easy answer. We complicate it all up, but the question is, are you serving God or not? What's interesting to me is this. God never told Joshua, Well, because you live in a society that disobeys me, go ahead and just be like them. I'm going to give you slack. Because you lived, you know, in a society where the guy down the block does certain things and you join in, I'll give you slack. No, God's not saying that. God's asking you to be obedient. God is asking you to serve him on this earth, to bring people toward him. And the question is, are you doing it? If your kids sit there and watch you do certain things that go completely against God, then what are they going to do? They're going to go completely against God. Now, a friend of mine is a a pastor over in Hanford, and his wife uh, posted a thing on Facebook. Uh, She's gone to the Philippines on the last trip that I went on and stuff. And and I love the, uh, the, the picture. It had a child fighting with another child and one of the moms standing behind, and her tongue was really long, and it went down into the child's back of their head and out the child's mouth. In other words, the child is acting just like the mom. And saying things just like the mom. When we're not living for God, our children see that. He told Joshua to live righteously, to live according to his ways, to totally love the Lord. And that's what he calls us to do. God has never allowed his people to rebel, or God has always allowed his people to rebel against him in whatever direction they chose, either from Society that's against God or society that uh, are, are, you know, either from the society or going to that society that's against God. You know, so the question is, do we choose to rebel against this world or against God? Which one is it? Are you going to rebel against this world or are you going to act just like your neighbors? Are you going to act just like everybody else in Tulare uh, with the attitudes and the actions? And, and that's what amazes me about the, the mask and, and how it divides church. I know some people who are call themselves Christians, and I'm not doubting they're, they're Christians, but they're, the grace is gone from their attitude when it comes about mask. They're anti-maskers. They think it, they, they, they think it actually um, causes people to be sick. Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to go one way or the other. I don't, think it's, I don't think it's hurting. But at the same time, if you have a different view, you need to present that view with grace, not with vitriol, not with you know, being all menacing about it and so forth. It's the same thing with the shots. There's some people out there saying these wild things about these shots and stuff. And, and, and regardless of how you feel about it one way or the other, grace has got to be there. We can't allow these worldly things to divide the church. But too often, we bring the world right into the church when we shouldn't. It's sad. 
So do we choose to rebel against God or do we choose to rebel against this world? Joshua goes on in Joshua 14, 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of, of God at uh, Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me uh, from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on the day that Moses swore to me, on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. This is a quiet, <laughs> a quiet conversation between two men. You have the, the oldest men in Israel, the two oldest men in Israel talking together. And, and what do they do in, at this age? Are they out playing bocce ball or, or bingo in the afternoon? I don't know. But, but, you know, the two oldest guys in Israel are away and they're talking. And Caleb is like, you know what, Joshua? And Joshua knows it's coming. Joshua's about 100 years old this time. And Caleb's about 85 and he's just a young whippersnapper, you know. Uh, but Caleb is a, a, a Kenny, a Kenesite. He doesn't have com complete Jewish blood within him in his veins. Uh, his ancestors in Genesis 15 were a part of the, the land that Abraham saw and moved to. And over time, they married into, uh, you know, into the tribes of, of Israel. And here a Kenizzite, they married into the tribe of Israel as a leader in Israel. And he's going, remember... I was 40 years old, and this was written down in Numbers 13 and 14. Moses wrote this down, and it's considered scripture already. And remember, we as spies, we went into the land, and we came back out. We were all excited about it. And, and, and the other people, they made, you know, the people fearful. The people cried out, no, don't, don't go into the land. There's giants there. And Moses was up all night before the Lord praying and hoping that he wouldn't nuke them. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back and said, we can do this. And Joshua comes out and tell, or Moses comes out and tells Caleb, you're going to step into the promised land. Now, all these other people, this generation, no, because they didn't believe. But you have a different spirit because you love the Lord wholeheartedly with your whole heart. This is the guy that comes before Joshua 45 years later. And he says in verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me. And I brought him back a report according to my conviction. In other words, logic says there's giants in the land. But conviction, my heart says, we can do this. And when your heart follows the Lord, usually you're never wrong when it's following the Lord. Now, don't be impulsive about it. You know, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'm just leading from the heart today, and, and I really didn't study all week, so therefore, I'm just going to give you what's on my heart. And God calls us to be diligent. God calls us to, to not be disorganized. I think if you lead like this, you're just leading in confusion. But, but when you, ha you know, got all the facts, 
40 days, everyone comes back and gives them to you. And you say, this is what we're going to do. And they start complaining and crying about it. It's like, well, what's the deal? Cry, you know, dry out your eyes. The Lord is going to do this. This was Caleb's, you know, attitude at this time. And it goes on and says in verse 8, But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And this is a story of Caleb's life. He didn't follow the crowd. He followed God. I wholly followed the Lord. Verse 9, so on that day, Moses swore to me. And what's he doing right now with Joshua? He's remembering. He, he's going, Joshua, it's time for me to collect here. Remember Moses, he swore. And then Caleb quotes him. The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised. He's going, look at my feet. Look at where I'm at. No one has given me any territory yet. I like this area, and I came to, you know, to claim it here. And he says, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Mo- this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as, uh, today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb. And look in verse 15, look at what it says. And he gave him Hebron and the inheritance and his inheritance. So Hebron, uh, you know, has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and the Kenizzite uh, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kirith Arba, after Arba. But who was the, gr- uh, who was the greatest man among the Anakites? The land had rest from war. Now, this is really cool. I mean, these are the giants they're talking about in this land. But first you read this and you go, well, this is really cool, you know. know, 85, he's got himself a mountain retreat. You know, he's ready to retire, right? Because that's what's going on, right? No, no. Caleb had just, you know, claimed land that had not been mopped up. The Israelites hadn't done their job. Caleb says, give me that mountain. And I can imagine Joshua going, <laughs> Caleb, wait, 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 wait. You're, you're 85. You mean that mountain where all the giants are, right? Where all the big people live, right? Caleb, I mean, you're going to go out there and fight these guys, right? Let's give it to somebody younger. Come on. How about, how about so-and-so over there? He can do that. And Caleb's like, no, I want it. It's mine, Moses. I mean, uh, Joshua, because Moses said, I'm not old. You're the one that's old. God retired you, not me. And Joshua's like, okay, okay, okay. And you know what? The scriptures tell us that Caleb took that mountain. And Joshua had the pleasure of writing it down. And when you read Joshua 15, you'll see Caleb's daughter come to Caleb. And she's kind of like the chip off the old block. It says here in verse 13, In accordance with the Lord's command, Joshua gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, 
a portion in Judea. And it, you know, he defeats and defeats and defeats. And, and then they get to this one city. And Caleb says in verse 16, I will give my daughter as Aksah in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kirith Sefer. He's saying, I'm going to want my daughter to marry somebody who's a go-getter who's going to go out and do this. Othenial, son of Kenaz, Caleb's brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter uh, Aksah into marriage or to him in marriage. One day when she came to Othenial, she urged him to go ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? Because she had that look on her face, like I'm fixing to ask you for something. And he goes, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me land in Negev, give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. She is just like her dad. I want everything my father has for me. This is an awesome picture of how we should raise and mentor the younger generation because they're watching us. And my question is, are you doing your job or not? Because they're watching. Kids always watch. Kids always hear. I listen to my, my boys, uh, you know, uh, uh, Grayson's at that age, you know, he's five and a half and he's sitting there and we think he's not listening. And then he starts repeating what we're saying or, or he'll ask a question that's pertinent to the conversation. And we're like, I didn't know he was listening. They're always listening. I should know that by now. I've already had one child go through that. They always listen. Brandon will be doing his schoolwork in his room, and Lisa and I will be talking out in the kitchen, and I'll say something. He'll pop out of his room and go, what was that? Because he wants to be a part of the conversation. They always listen. People in the church, the younger generation is watching us, older people in the church. And so my question is, are we doing our job or not? Do you think you labor in vain? Don't think you live a godly life for nothing. People are watching you, these younger generation. And one day they will say, I remember those who mentored me. And thank God they did. And what they said and what they, they showed me. And then one day, God said it's time for us to mentor the next generation. And we did it. See, that's our goal. To mentor how God wants us to mentor. To live how God wants us to live. And the Lord blesses those who walk in his ways, down his path. You know, we need encouragement from him. As our fathers say to us, do not be afraid. We need to not be afraid of this world. Too many of us are living in fear. And God is saying, do not be afraid, for I am with you. And he's saying, step forward and I can use you. Do you want to be used? We're fixing to be back on campus. We're talking about going to, to the Philippines, Lord willing, this summer. If not, it'll be next summer. But I mean, our plans are until the Lord stops it to go back this summer. Where do you want to be used in our community? Where do you want to be used in our church? Because we could use the help in certain places to affect our community for him. It's important. We do not labor in vain, so we need to step forward and step up because God has prepared things for us, and if we just give him control of our life, then things turn out much better.
Well, let's pray. Lord, some of us are like Joshua, where you're saying, okay, it's, it's time for you to rest. It's time for you to enjoy uh, some years here without battling, without being the person in, in charge. And then there's others of us that are like Caleb going, okay, Lord, the Lord's not done with me yet. I may be older, but the Lord is not done. And there's things that I can do. There's people I can mentor. And then there's the next generation, Lord. And I pray that, that your, your spirit awakens us and enlivens us to, to get us to that point where we step up and we say, I am ready to be used by you, God. Put that on our heart, Lord. Put that on our heart. Lord, I pray for those that are setting out there today. Maybe they're the next leader in our church. Maybe they're the next, you know, part of, of whatever ministry is starting a new ministry. And, and, and you can use them, Lord. And all it takes is your spirit to awaken them and for us to respond and say, yes, Lord, yes. We love you so much, Lord. And I pray that we can follow you. Give us the strength to follow you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he watch over you each and every day. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.